following program is an original WWE podcast. Coming up, we're joined by two of the longest tenured superstars in WWE, Dolph Ziggler and R-Truth. And is this thing on? Is somebody listening to this podcast on Mondays? We discuss the surprising 180 that Raw pulled off this week, at least for most of the show. Plus, stay tuned through the end. I'm going to tell you who's going to win the Royal Rumble this week. ATB starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and I am well aware that it probably had next to nothing to do with my harsh criticisms last week, but it won't stop me from taking all of the credit for Raw's significant improvement this week. Yeah, I said it. I liked Raw. Well, two hours and 56 minutes of it, but I thought Raw was awesome this week, and this isn't me trying to make amends. I sat just like I did last week from 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I enjoyed just about everything on the show. The whole show felt big. It advanced storylines. The matches were pay-per-view level. I mean, let's start at the top with the Ray and Andrade for the U.S. title in a ladder match. I complain all the time about rematches. This is one I will never, ever tire of because Rey Mysterio and Andrade together are magic. You add in the elements of a ladder match, and these two tore the house down. I never get tired of watching these two because, yeah, they have their signature maneuvers. They have the the things you love to see. But the two of them together are so creative. And in an environment like a ladder match with two amazing athletes, such as Rey Mysterio and Andrade, you can expect fireworks. And that is exactly what Raw delivered this week. Everything about it was great. Even down to the ending, Umberto Carrillo coming back. Very, very cool. Very excited to see where this happens. Hopefully it's not the end of Rey and Andrade. Because I want to watch that match forever in every type of match. Ladder match, cage match, Judy Bagwell on a pole match. I mean, you name it. I think Ray and Andrade can make it work. Randy Orton, one-on-one with Drew McIntyre. This has pay-per-view main event written all over it. And here it was just in the middle of Raw. Two of my personal favorites. I've gone on the record even last week with Drew McIntyre talking about what a fan I am of his. Same as Randy Orton. Two of the best in the business. And the match was awesome. Got a no-decision finish with all the uh, shenanigans that followed. But, man, give me more of that. Hopefully at a pay-per-view. I would be fine with that at WrestleMania. Just those two guys were were just making great things happen. Uh, And the thing that stood out to me, I was was talking to my girlfriend on the couch. We lose sight of how gigantic both Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton truly are. Randy, in particular, came up in an era where a lot of the guys were a lot bigger. uh, But these are two big dudes so to see them move like they do I don't think people really can appreciate what they're doing in the ring until you've stood beside them or seen them in person two big incredible athletes Randy Orton maybe the best in-ring performer in the business I stand by that uh it's the little things man and Drew is just money waiting to be made put the two of them together put some bright lights and pay-per-view promotion behind it and I will happily watch it And again, just because I mentioned it last week, the Street Profits, they still seem to be stuck in a little bit of no man's land, but we got the Monday after the weekend update, and it made me laugh. And I'll tell you why. The one spot in particular was the bit about reboots and how everything's new and original, and then they showed Morrison and Miz 
from SmackDown, which I will get to later. But it made me laugh because we can make fun of ourselves. Not everything has to be super serious. Not everything has to be a heated rivalry. I like those. There are definitely places for those. But we made fun of the other show. We made fun of SmackDown, and nobody died because it was funny. It's entertainment at the end of the day, and the Street Profits delivered. So hats off to them. And the other one that I called out last week because I was uncertain of what the future held for him was Buddy Murphy. Again, I know Buddy Murphy is a star. We all know Buddy Murphy is a star. I was just curious to see how Buddy recovered from losing consecutive matches to Aleister Black. Not that there's any shame in that, but Buddy Murphy joined forces with Seth Rollins in his messianic complex, and now Buddy is one half of the Raw Tag Team Champions. And respect to the Viking Raiders, I had fun watching them as tag champs. This match was awesome because Seth Rollins and Buddy Murphy, the Vikings, they just they delivered, man. It made the Raw Tag Team titles feel important. They don't have bad matches. This was fun. I love Seth Rollins as the Monday Night Messiah. Uh, I love the AOP with them. And now Buddy and Seth, if nothing else, we're going to get some kick-ass matches out of them. So, yeah, there you go. I'm, I'm waxing positive about Monday Night Raw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Friday Night Smackdown on Fox, in my not-so-humble opinion, was the best it's been in quite some time, to the point where after the show, Michael Cole and I were texting one another about how fast the show went by and how everything just flowed, from the opening segment with Kane and Daniel Bryan and The Fiend all the way to the very end. Uh, very little to nitpick or complain about. I genuinely enjoyed everything about SmackDown. Uh, John Morrison and Big E, a uh, great way to reintroduce Morrison to our audience. Uh, there was a point where he climbed to the top rope and did some sort of parkour cartwheel to the outside, which elicited a sound from the insides of my being that I don't know what it actually sounded like on television, but there was, there was no acting behind that. I legitimately thought Morrison was going to kill himself. Uh, but he didn't, luckily, for himself and the rest of us. Uh, I'm happy to see Morrison back. I think this whole thing with him and The Miz challenging the New Day potentially is going to be very, very cool for all of us to enjoy. Uh, at the top of the show, it was always great to see Kane back in a WWE ring, one of the greatest of all time. And there was some little thing I, I picked up on. I don't think it was intentional, but it was a really cool, happy accident. When I can't remember if it was when the Firefly Funhouse started or when The Fiend started messing with the lights. But the red paint Kane wears under his mask was running because it got really hot out there under the lights. And it was right at that point that the camera cut to Kane's face and it looked like he was bleeding from the mouth, which had nothing to do with the fiend or, or where we were trying to go or what we were doing. But it looked really, really cool. And I went, wow, we should have thought of that. But um, now that I've put it into the universe, it'll never happen again. It's the little things, guys. And just the continuation of stories. Roman Reigns and King Corbin seemingly in WWE time has gone on for a millennia, but I'm not tired of it because this story keeps getting new layers added to it and the matches follow up and make this story more compelling and seeing Robert Roode back and hearkening back to the table that took Robert Roode out and it's, he's now back in the fold. There's stakes at play here, being able to choose the stipulation for the match at Royal Rumble. The big dog and King Corbin falls count anywhere at the Royal Rumble Inside that massive stadium, I think that one could steal the night. And that's a hell of an accomplishment considering it's the Royal Rumble and the Royal Rumble match usually accomplishes that. I'm very, very excited. And to go back to the Bray Wyatt, Daniel Bryan story, 
I love so much that they're bringing old footage into play. Even when Kane was involved, having Bray Wyatt and his rivalry with Kane drawn up, and the Daniel Bryan joining the Wyatt family, infiltrating the Wyatt family. We have such a cool history and so much of it. It's nice to be able to acknowledge it at times like this to make the story deeper. I love how Daniel Bryan has made believers out of just about everybody. Uh, He is playing this role to perfection. I, honest to God, believe that there is a chance that Daniel Bryan could be the one to defeat The Fiend. I don't think it's likely, but the way Daniel has done this and asking for the strap match and just the little stories being told in this rivalry, Daniel Bryan willing to try to drag himself into the literal Christian hell, which exists below WWE rings, which is where Kane comes from, and Bray Wyatt, I'm kidding. I don't know what's under there. Just kendo sticks and TV monitors and dog food. But yeah, Friday Night SmackDown was awesome. My first guest has been causing plenty of trouble on Friday Night SmackDown lately alongside King Corbin and Robert Roode. Please welcome the show off, Dolph Ziggler. What's up, man? How are you this morning? I'm doing fantastic. How about you? I couldn't be any better. This might be the best day of my life. <laughs> what are the chances? Uh, it's crazy odds. Crazy odds. Um, I'm going to just jump right into it. we got so much we can cover. Um, you've been in WWE, a mainstay, so to speak, for around 15 years. What have been some of the biggest changes you've seen over the course of that time? Wow, that's, uh, that's a good call. Um, yeah, I guess it is around 15 years now. I mean, uh, the first thing that pops in my head is developmental. Um, when I was there, it was a very, uh, you know, just once a month, maybe there was some faxed piece of paper sent into the office about what's going on or something instead of now being NXT where they're their entire own brand and running shows and uh, being very successful and being on television. That's a huge jump. We were kind of, uh, I had Lance Storm who would fly in and out. Uh, he'd be there for a week and a half and go home for a couple days back to Canada. So we didn't even have a full-time coach uh, most of the time that I was there. But I was very lucky. I had uh, Paul Heyman, uh, Rip Rogers, uh, some of the smartest people that have ever been in wrestling uh, I got a chance to learn from. So that that was pretty cool. And um, I mean, over the 15 years, I mean, clearly that where they you know probably had a, a phone call once a week or once a month just to see what was going on compared to we know what's going on at all times at NXT because they're probably selling out a show somewhere. Yeah, it's absolutely couldn't be any more different these days than I mean, even even when I was in FCW those days and you were OVW, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was in a, I was in OVW for a little while, which was uh, you know in Kentucky, and uh, it was fun. It's it's Kentucky. Uh, Louisville has a, a really awesome wrestling fan base anyway, and those people would line up a couple hours before the show. But it's a, but it was you know uh, two hundred two hundred and fifty seats maybe and. Uh, we would bounce around, you know, local cities nearby and uh, and have a good time. But it was it was nothing like, you know, you were kind of an island unto yourself. Yeah, that was a lot different than now. The redheaded stepchildren of WWE. <laughs> Walk me through what it was like going from uh, OVW to your first tenure in WWE. What was that experience like? It was pretty nuts because, you know, uh, like I said, there wasn't too much communication back and forth. So I was just told one day, you know, to be at Raw. And you're like, okay, and like, what are the details? Like, well, we don't know. Okay, so you just go to Raw wearing a suit and walk around, and you're afraid of everybody because one, you're brand new and don't know what the hell's going on. And I didn't really have any friends like in the business that told me, you know, I didn't even know you're supposed to shake hands when you walk in with everybody, and everyone gave me a dirty look the first day. And so you don't know all these uh, details, and um, 
you know, back then it's, it's a little bit, all the people that I grew up watching, you know, are walking the halls and are in the locker room and uh, you don't want to interrupt what they're talking, but, and you want to say hi to them, but you don't want to know if you're supposed to be there or not. And finally getting in there, walking in the door and they're like, Hey, we have this plan for you, or maybe we do, maybe we don't. We'll see what happens by the end of the day. And, uh, you get in there. And, um, at that point when you got hired, like, I don't know how it is now, but I never met Vince McMahon at any point. And, uh, you know, got to talk to him for a second. He said, here's what you're doing. Here's the deal. And, uh, what do you think? And I go, I don't know. Um, you know, Dolph Ziggler is kind of a funny name, so we'll see what we can do. So Dolph Ziggler wasn't your first, uh, experience on the WWE main roster at the time. You were a member of a pretty, uh, well-known group of male cheerleaders. (laughs) Very true. Actually, even before that. I was a caddy to Chavo Guerrero's golf playing. Uh, I had my chronology backwards. I wasn't sure if you were a caddy first or a cheerleader. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, either way, I prepared my entire life, you know, holding golf clubs and doing back handsprings. But it's, I, uh, I, yeah, I was called up and it was to be uh, um, Chavo Guerrero's new character's manager. Kerwin White. Erwin White and and I actually for the the few very few weeks that we did this I got to keep my name which was uh, I, think, I think it even showed up on TV Nick Nemeth and I was like whoa my you know that I guess that's my name that's great they just didn't care enough to like <laughs> worry about putting a name on there like yeah, this guy will be called the caddy yeah yeah that's fine and uh, so that first day I didn't I didn't know Chavo I didn't know, like I said I didn't know anybody and uh, he was like oh uh, someone told me you wrestle so we rolled around in the ring. And, uh, you know, did some amateur wrestling together and kind of talked to me for a few minutes, realized that I wasn't a total jerk and that I was a fan of wrestling and you know, had some respect for the business. And uh, it was a good start there. I got to ride with him for the few weeks that we did this and uh, get to, got to learn from him firsthand in the ring, outside of the ring, traveling. And uh, that was a really great experience for me. And my first experience with the, uh, the Guerrero family. So was there any sort of trepidation where here you come with this really impressive amateur wrestling background and you're told now you're going to be a caddy on WWE television? It was the worst because at one point, a few months earlier, they said, we really like you as this clean cut guy. You have this awesome amateur wrestling background. We would like to put you with Kurt Angle. And I go, whoa, what? But meanwhile, that's just somebody saying, it'd be cool if you were with Kurt Angle, right? You guys are wrestlers. Like, but I took that as, oh, next week they'll be calling and me and me. And it's going to be like, uh, sidekicks or whatever that chuck norris movie is it was nothing like that and um that yeah that never came to be and they said yeah by the way you'll be a caddy but don't worry there's a golf cart it'll be cool meanwhile they didn't tell me i'd be walking behind the golf cart and i was like (laughs) okay great uh but whatever gets your foot in the door much like becoming a cheerleader uh a little bit later so yeah so i i had that um i went on an overseas tour without chavo and it was just me, and I go, what am I managing or something? I'm a few months into wrestling, and I've, I've been training hard and, and doing two practices a day, but I don't know the business. I just know that I'm a fan. And they put me in um, on the first match of the show with Tajiri on an overseas tour for two straight weeks. And they're like, uh, we don't know what we're going to do with you, but uh, I think we're going to put you in this first match against Tajiri. Um, you guys, I don't know, do 10, 12 minutes. Uh, you guys will be on first. The show starts in about 20 minutes. Uh, he doesn't really speak English. So, okay, let me know what you guys are doing. And then I go, what? And then someone just walked away. And I go, <laughs> uh, okay. And uh, it was it was a little weird coming out, like starting the show with me coming out to Chavo Guerrero's new like country club, Frank Sinatra-esque music that no one even knows. 
and they don't know who the hell I am. So I people say cricket sometimes when people come out, and I could hear a cup moving in, and some ice melting in someone's cup in the stand. <laughs> what the hell am I doing here? Uh, but it ended up being a, a fun tour, and I, you know, I I pick up things fast. I was working hard, and uh, at the end of the tour, they said, "Hey, you did really well. We, you know, we thought you were going to suck, but you were, you know, C plus. Like, hey, great, thanks." It's a passing grade. <laughs> Yeah, I go, hey, all right, yeah, that's pretty good. They go, everything, uh, just wanted to give you a heads up with creative. Um, this is over with now, so you'll be going back to the, so I assumed, um, they go, you did great, uh, but this is over with. And um, they said the Kerwin White and the caddy, and I, I just assumed that, oh, okay, I'm fired now, and that's the end of my run. You see so many guys throughout history who come up and have a, a terrible gimmick or a bad run, and that is, that's the end of their careers in WWE. And yeah. you you managed to survive that and uh, power through to the next chapter. Yeah, powered through to uh, <laughs> become. I was like, this time, you know, it'll be me and Kurt. We're winning the tag titles, and confetti comes down, and then it's uh, well, there's a group of guys. It's gonna be pretty cool. It's gonna be kind of like kind of like a new ho- uh, four horsemen, but it'll be a little bit. Wait, different. wait, was that actually presented to you as such? <laughs> yeah, actually, <laughs> if I can remember the exact words, it was it was cooler than that. They're like. Think of like the horsemen, but like controversial, and you're gonna be doing all this crazy. And we're like, whoa, what? <laughs> yeah, and that, that is where I did get to meet Vince, and uh, he pulls into a room, and it's like, we're gonna do something that's never been done before. It's gonna be controversial. People are gonna be talking, and I'm like, whoa, this is the craziest thing. Meanwhile, I've never met Vince in my life till this point, and he goes, male cheerleaders, <laughs> and I, uh, and it's me and four other guys in this room, and I go. My heart sank into my stomach, and I went, oh, man. I go, uh, whatever gets me on the show sounds good to me. So, yeah, But you got the opportunity to work along guys like Shawn Michaels, Triple H. I mean, as much fun as you look back and, and poke at the Spirit Squad, you guys had a pretty successful run for a period of time. Yeah, we did. And looking back, it almost ended up being almost exactly one year. And, I mean, maybe three months of that was – weird stuff and just get getting thrown off ladders and through tables and stuff. But about nine months of that was Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, Dusty Rhodes, DX, every three out of every four weekends on live events. Nothing could be better possible training or having the rub or being in the ring from the greatest of all time. It got to a point to where uh, we were in there. It, it would be Sean, Sean Michaels, uh, Triple H, and uh, Ric Flair, and they kind of rotated like two of those three every weekend. And we got to be in there with them full time for several months in a row. And if, if you can't learn from those guys on how to be the best and draw money and know what works and what doesn't, then you really do need to be done after that. So we got to a point to where um, they started to trust us in the ring, which is insane. I'm less than a year into wrestling, but we, you know, we listened to them and, and I was taken for granted and coming in, um, and just uh, wrestling matches before the live events, just trying to get reps in because I didn't know what the hell I was doing and I wanted to be good. And we got to a point to where I got to kind of take over some matches, um, even though there's nothing great about them, nothing fantastic at all. But I got a chance to, you know, kind of run, call some shots in the ring about a year into the business with some of those guys. And uh, that was fun and that was a learning experience. But after that, we learned so much and got to do some of the coolest things ever. So it's fun to make fun of the Spirit Squad so much. But man, uh, I feel like I'm as good as I am today uh, because of that. It makes a lot of sense. You got a Rhodes scholarship in the business from those guys. 
So the Spirit Squad eventually comes to an end, and the WWE is introduced to Dolph Ziggler. How much of the handshaking deal comes from you not shaking hands beforehand, or was that just a coincidence? <laughs> I wish that was that made sense. I was like, I'll show all these guys. Uh, <laughs> but it was uh, it was um, we had just started something called the Reality Era, to where it was you know no longer. It was more like realistic people like John Cena, Randy Orton, real names. And, you know, nobody was a, a plumber or, you know, um, I'm a lifeguard and stuff like that. It was we're making sure there were real people that you could Google online and see their name or someone like me. You could like check your stats. And and uh, I was so I thought we could maybe use my real name. So like, if you Google me, you see that I broke these records at Kent State. You know, that's the only reason I'm even here to get a tryout. Um, but for some reason, I was told that uh, my name would be Dolph Ziggler. And, um, so I got to, I bump into Vince and said, Mr. McMahon, I go, I love this. We're doing the reality area. You can Google my name. Everything works. I, I would love for you know, to talk to you about this name. He goes, well, nope. It's Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> it stands out. No one's going to forget it. And we're going to shove it up their butts every time you see it. Every time they see your face on TV. And I went, okay. Goes, yeah, nope. Nope. And all right. I guess I was ready to like have this debate back and forth. Nope. But uh, it was uh, me saying my name and the name stood out and shaking hand or just putting my hand out to a point uh, made me uh, more unbearable than I am in real life, if you can imagine. And it made it stand out so much more that it got to a point to where I, you would just see me for a second, know that I was going to say my name and little kids were coming up to me and shaking my hand and saying their name and stuff like that. So it really stuck. It stood out. Uh, it got to a point now. It's much better than now to where I'm at a, an autograph signing and little six-year-old kids come up and shake their hips and uh, do my entrance. It's, it's much better to, to have the handshake. I don't know if I ever got a chance to tell you this in person, but when my middle daughter was in preschool, she was reprimanded and put in timeout for doing the Dolph Ziggler hip swivel. <laughs> And yeah, and it became it became a joke. It was actually down during the days of the WWE Performance Center when we had just been down there. And I always remember I told Rusev about the story, and I was like, "Yeah, you're not going to believe this." Lennon got in trouble at school for doing the Dolph Ziggler dance, and she would uh, preface it by screaming "booty butt." Uh, <laughs> so Rusev always thought it was hysterical, and we'd be in the middle of a workout in the PC, and Rusev would just go. Booty butt, and everyone would drop what they were doing and do the Dolph Ziggler hips. Oh my god! So yeah, I I can't believe I've never actually told you about that. It just just <laughs> piqued my interest right now. It's a great legacy to have. You know? Hey, I mean, if nothing else, everybody's got to have their something. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so so run me through here. Give me a Cliff's Notes version. I mean, you've done basically everything there is to do in WWE. Um, I was my first WrestleMania was WrestleMania 29 in New York, which the night after. You captured your first uh, World Heavyweight Championship, and I maintain to this day it was one of the loudest crowd reactions I've ever heard. Um, so I'm going to get that one out of the way for you. But give me some uh, some highlights. What do you look back really fondly on? A lot of times now, uh, so so I'll get tagged in something uh, when, it, when big pay-per-views are coming up, whether it's a WrestleMania or a Royal Rumble. And uh, I think, I want to say yesterday or the day before, WWE tagged me in something like, check out this old match um, from the Royal Rumble. And it was uh, the world title match, and it was uh, myself versus Edge. And uh, there's something. Not only is it uh, was it awesome to be in that match and to start the show, and we we went almost 30 minutes, and uh, people went into that match going, "Dolph has no chance. This is a placeholder guy." 
to have a match with Edge to just get him ready for WrestleMania or something. And halfway through that match, I want to say about 12 minutes in through the, the end, uh, you can see people on their feet or chanting for both of us or just, and that, and it just goes to show how good uh, Edge was in the ring. And the most important part to me was I used to ride with Edge and it was so cool to, you know, learn from him on the road, be friends with him, be buddies, but also like Edge, Christian, Jericho, all those guys were so smart about, uh, I don't know if it's, and Lance Storm, Canadians, they're so good <laughs> at putting things together that I, I got to learn from all of them and uh, just riding with, with Edge the whole time uh, for a year or two. And it was just like, I was learning in the ring and out again and having this match to where I was in there with, with a buddy of mine who also was so good at this that it went from that crowd going, no one cares about you, you're a placeholder, to halfway through a match, oh my God, Ziggler's going to win this. And uh, the match was so fun and so good and 99% because of Edge. But it was one of my favorite matches. And I think uh, just because the Rumble's coming up, they tagged it in again. It's one of my absolute favorite matches because we got to do weekends together. I got to ride with him. I got to learn from him. And then I got to put it all out there at a pay-per-view and then got to do uh, something that I've said many times coming into the back. Follow that. And then followed by some kind of swear word really loud. But I won't say <laughs> but it was like, it was so awesome to do that with a buddy, with a friend, with a mentor and have it steal the show. And uh, that's one of the first times where I, I was like, well, I didn't win, but I can find a way to steal the show sometime. Oh, that's awesome. So you obviously have no shortage of memorable moments and career accomplishments, but uh, the road in WWE is quite a grind. And uh, after a significant run, you thought perhaps you saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it was in 2016. You were in a uh, situation with your pal, The Miz, going into No Mercy um, tell me about that little moment in your career. What's really funny is you said the light at the end of the tunnel and uh, on commentary, JBL, I want to say it's, you know, there's about a minute or two left in the match that I'm about to get to and talk about my career's on the line. And we, you know, we've, we've emptied every possible uh, finisher that I have in my back pocket. People from my past have run down. And I, JBL goes, the, the light at the end of the tunnel that Dolph sees, it's not what he thinks. It's a train, and he's done. And I remember hearing that. <laughs> so funny. And uh, But it got to a point to where, yeah, um, in the weirdest way, in the luckiest way, um, I never had issues like any kind of injury that even put me out for a few weeks or a few months or got a shoulder or knee cleaned up or something. So I never, ever went away. And uh, – because of I, I would assume being good at my job, there was ne there wasn't too many TVs in the, in this like eight or nine years to where I even had the TV off. Uh, I was always on, so you got to a point to where you know some people would go away for six months, some people go away for years, some people go away for a month, come back, or weren't always wrestling on TV. I wrestled almost every single uh, Raw or SmackDown or both on TV nonstop for several years in a row, and it got to a point where I said, hey. Do I have to fake an injury to get all like I? I feel like we're we've overdone me, and I'm just kind of here as a placeholder. And you know, you'll always see me. You know, I'll be in a match, and sadly, you'll know I'm probably going to lose that match. Um, so we need something to where I don't need to win all the time. I don't need to be the hero or the champion or one of your guys because I, clearly I'm not one of them. But I need a point to where 
the world thinks I'm going to win this match because they've seen me so much. They know I'm there. They know I'm not likely going to win a match. I go, I need a break. I need a breath of fresh air. I need something. I go, I don't want to come off the road. I don't want to go away, but I have to. And it got to a point to where, okay, no problem. You know, we, we've taken advantage of you. We'll do it. And then it would, the date would come up and they would go, mm, you know, we really need you. These two other guys are hurt. We need you on the shows. And you go, oh man, come on. So this went on for about two, for about two years. And I said, <laughs> I have to leave now. So am I, am I not going to resign a contract or am I going to fake an injury? But I have to leave. And uh, I love this company. I don't want to leave, you know. And uh, I got to the point, damn it, all right. So um, I find out I'm going to be putting my career on the line against The Miz, one of my favorites, and one of the establishment guys, The Miz, uh, and uh, who never met a script he didn't like. And I like to improv and freelance, and he's the opposite way. But it, I go, this is perfect. I like Miz. You know, he's one of your guys. Clearly, I'm going to put my career on the line. We're going to do everything we can. And I, I assumed going into that match that I was losing and leaving, you know, loser leaves town. And uh, we got there and I end up winning the match to very much my dismay. Uh, <laughs> I go, the one damn time I win a match is the time, you know, I don't want to. And uh, so I went, okay, what the hell are we doing now? And we went right back to doing almost nothing and just kind of hanging out and being there. And I go, damn it, this is why I was supposed to leave. And it kept going on. And anyway, that match was so fun. We got to bring the Spirit Squad back. We had Maurice involved. Um, and that match was a really special match because, one, I'm pretty sure two-thirds of that arena or anybody watching at home assumed that was my last match and I was going out fighting my friend. And uh, trust me, anybody who looks back and watches that, I promise you I wanted it to be my last match, um, at least for a year or something like that because um, – I'm very lucky also to have some other side projects and things to work on. So I said, this will be great. I'm not just going to sit at home or just do a couple autograph signings. I can stay busy, you know, doing stand up comedy and doing some political stuff on Fox news. And I wanted to get out of there. I just really needed them to not see me for a little bit so they could remember, you know, that maybe I'm good at wrestling or maybe I could win sometimes. But, uh, I, I won that match and it was a pretty awesome reaction and a pretty fun time. But the next day, uh, we went right back to me being Dolph Ziggler, and uh, sadly, uh, we didn't really capitalize on it. So I needed to get out of there, and uh, that probably didn't happen for another two years for me to get out of there for three months. Well, you eventually got your time off, and you mentioned your stand-up comedy career. Tell me what it's like delving into that whole new world. It's scary, man. Uh, it is very, very scary. It's one you know a lot of people I know I talk to at work. Or people throw jokes out or watch the old Rickles uh, or Dean Martin roasts and uh, especially like Cesaro. Cesaro. <laughs> you said Don Rickles. I immediately thought of Cesaro. And every every couple uh, couple days or weeks, I'll get a, a clip from him, just a 15 seconds of a roast from 40 years ago. And it's so funny. And he, he loves that stuff. And there's a bunch of people who like stand-up comedy or recommend comics. And we talk about them all the time. But, man, doing it is a, is a totally different thing. And it, uh, it especially when you – a lot of people who I know in our business, you know, they people know them from wrestling or they're fans of them. So when, even when I have a show and go up there, people are, for the most part, half the crowd is already like, yeah, Dolph's here. So they're, you don't really know if you're funny or not. You just know that they're happy to see you. It's like when Seinfeld comes out now and you're like, yay, Seinfeld. But, and he didn't even say a word yet, but if he was doing an open mic, he'd be like, who's this idiot? Make me laugh, you know? 
And uh, so I tried as much as I can to tuck my hair up under a black hat instead of the blue SmackDown one that I'd normally be wearing. And I would take a, a black hat and tuck it all underneath there, and I would go do an open mic as some guy named Nick. And I'd be like, hey, what's up? Yeah, doesn't it suck when you're when there's a long line at Chipotle or you're on Tinder and it, you know nobody's swiping here or something like this? I'm trying to do stuff that uh, – I mean, work on material in my real life. So I realized – that a lot of fans would come to shows uh, if we if I did a, a stand up comedy show, but they you know if I did like something where I would take a picture with them and sign an autograph or sign an action figure or something. So I set up these VIP meet and greets to where you can talk to them before the show for a minute or two. And a lot of people I started realizing it was like the first time coming to a comedy show. They're big wrestling fans, and they uh, some of them were big comedy fans, and some of them have never been to a show. So we take a picture and sign stuff. And basically, I was getting an audience to come see me do an open mic, which is crazy uh, because I didn't have the experience. All I'd done is, you know, walk around at my house trying out these notes. And I don't know if, you know, the lizards in my backyard think it's funny or not. So I get to these people and I found a way to not because it, it would be a big chunk of wrestling fans, but also comedy fans were just coming to see, you know, if I was any good. So I realized some kind of formula after the first couple of shows that I would do, you know, 20% hardcore insider, you read the dirt sheets online, you know what's going on, you know, jokes and references, and 20%, you know who the ultimate warrior is in The Rock. And then about 60% was me going to Chipotle, me on Tinder or Bumble, or me, you know, getting stuck in traffic to where everybody had something that they could relate to, but also wrestling fans were getting what they wanted. And uh, I got to a point to where the uh, clubs would, would be happy because the WWE Universe would turn out and uh, make these appearances so great uh, and, like, sell a lot of tickets, like, sight unseen, just word of mouth or me showing up. And they said, well, yeah, you'll headline and we'll have someone in the middle. And I, I headliners go generally anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, hour and a half. And I go, I have, like, seven minutes of material. <laughs> And stretch good yeah and it's like i'm like i go i don't know how many times i can just like so anyone here from out of town and then it's like throwing garbage on the stage so i i go i needed something so i met a friend of mine um at the comedy store in, in uh in hot in uh west hollywood and uh she we became friends she's a headliner all over the place she writes for the comedy central roast her name's sarah tiana and she was like, well, why don't we put together a show? And I said, well, I explained. I go, I can't do an hour. You know, I can't deliver that. I go, I'm, I'm struggling here, ripping up notebooks and doing seven minutes. And she goes, how about we do something where there, there's a host and then I'll go on before you and I'll do maybe a half an hour instead of like um, someone would normally do 10 or 15 minutes there. She'll do it. I'll do a half an hour and then I'll bring you out. Then you do your 10 minutes and then we'll do a and a and we'll have some fun and we'll do some, we'll roast each other on stage and make the show the right amount of time. So we got to a point to where uh, she was doing less and less time and I was catching up. So I'm at a point to where I can do about 35, 40 minutes and uh, which is painstaking and scares the hell out of me still to this day. I got to have a little jack fire on the rocks before I walk out there. But it's uh, we get to a point to where it's people have come and word of mouth has spread that like the greatest compliment I've gotten, I want to say a hundred times now is, oh, you were actually funny. <laughs> you didn't have to say actually uh but it's funny because they're like i came here to get my championship belt signed i came here to get this action figure signed i came here to see 
watch you suck and throw a tomato. And you're like, oh, it actually worked out okay. And um, getting those reps in and having those shows is making me better each time. But also, I, it, I, I don't always know when something works because there are some there are wrestling fans in the crowd. So I get to open mics whenever I can. I do uh, friend shows when I can. I do improv shows with my brother, who a lot of people know from NXT as Bradley Pierce, my brother Ryan. Uh, and he's coming on the road with me and he's hosting the Q and a and hosting the show and doing 10 minutes in the middle. And, uh, him and I will be, uh, we're doing March 12th. Him and I are doing laughing gas and Cape Girardeau. And then, uh, we have a really, really big show that I'm in the process of finishing today. Uh, April 2nd in Tampa after the hall of fame, uh, at side splitters comedy, we're going to have a giant, I don't, it might end up being a giant, like. Mark's Brothers slash your show of shows variety show with like music and special guests and maybe rap and maybe some storytelling and tons of cameos and all this stuff. And it's getting pieced together. And I, I'm pretty sure we're going to have it finalized today. Uh, it's going to be a pretty awesome show. Awesome. Awesome. Where can uh, the After the Bell listeners go to follow along with your uh, comedy stylings? Um, I think I post on uh, Instagram. I'll do Instagram lives coming up and and Twitter all the time. And everything is at Heel Ziggler, H-E-E-L-Z-I-G-G-L-E-R. Beautiful. Where can they catch you on Fox News? Uh, I do Fox Business at least once a month. I'll do Kennedy's show, which is uh, Fox Business at 9 o'clock Eastern. And I think I'm doing her show next week also. But uh, I, I get there once a month or so. And they let me do my own segment, which is where politics are pretty ridiculous and people say the same stuff all day long. And I'm a nerd for stuff like that. So I came up with kind of a game to where the hardcore uh, liberal or conservative has to argue the other side and ends up, uh, it ends up with everybody laughing usually at the end of the day. So that's uh, a lot of times you need a laugh. Whenever Laughter in politics, that's unheard of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on purpose. Yeah, believe it or not. Right on, man. Well, I know you're busy. I appreciate your time. I will see you this Friday at SmackDown. Sounds good, man. See you there. Thanks. This is a little part of After the Bell that we internally like to refer to as the interlude. It's not the official title, but that's where we call the part of the show where we stick all of my random thoughts that have no real place anywhere else. Off the top of my head, some new signings to get excited about in NXT. Mercedes Martinez, a true veteran of women's wrestling. She's done everything there is to do everywhere but WWE, aside from competing in the May Young Classic Tournament, where if you got eyes on that, you know she's awesome. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, get on WWE Network and check it out. Uh, the May Young Classic from several years ago. Mercedes Martinez went very, very deep, and she is awesome, and I am excited to add her to an already amazing women's roster in NXT elsewhere. Uh, a dude by the name of Jake Atlas, who's made a lot of noise on the independent scene. The dude is hyper-talented. Get on YouTube. Get on wherever you watch your independent wrestling videos. If you haven't already, check out Jake Atlas. Super stoked on what the dude brings to the table. Uh, and I'm sure he's going to make an awesome impact here in WWE. So congrats to both of those two. While we're excited about the additions to that roster, I have a couple questions about some holes. Namely, where the hell are the Iconics? Uh, honest to God, I haven't seen them even in passing in backstage. I think they're on Raw, which would explain it, but... I have not seen them anywhere but Instagram in the past several months, and these are the women's tag, former women's tag team champions and two of the most entertaining people on the entire roster. Wherever you are hiding, Billy, wherever you are hiding, Peyton, please come back. We miss you. 
And and while, while we're talking about people being missed, uh, Monday night on Raw, we caught a glimpse of the ever-elusive, constantly evolving Matt Hardy, who is a guy that I have missed. And if you follow his social media, he is a master at it. Matt is a master of being creative and creating doubt and raising questions amongst the internet wrestling community. Uh, let's be honest, Matt can play us all like fiddles when it comes to his videos. And look, it's no secret, Matt has sort of been hinting at the fact that maybe his days in WWE are numbered. I certainly hope that's not the case on a personal level because I consider him a friend and a really great guy. Um, I also want to know why someone as creatively gifted as Matt Hardy isn't asked or invited to contribute in a creative role. I don't know that he's been vocal about that uh, anywhere but in the television locker room where we sit and complain about life. Uh, but I think Matt Hardy would be a great addition to the creative end of things here in WWE. We've seen what he's capable of on his own outside of WWE and within. And, and I mean, the guy's resume speaks for itself. It's not like you're hiring some guy off the street who went to theater school. This is Matt freaking Hardy, one half of one of the greatest tag teams of all time. The guy is awesome. He is of great value and importance, in my opinion. Let's do right by Matt. And again, I haven't talked to him recently. I don't even know if that's what he wants. But I'm going out in public and saying, Matt Hardy, find your role in WWE and embrace it. And WWE, find a better role for Matt Hardy because we want him. Amongst my other random thoughts that I am thinking about at the moment, this coming Sunday is the Royal Rumble. Obviously, that's no secret. But uh, maybe not quite as much attention is being paid to what goes on before the Royal Rumble event. That's this Saturday. Worlds collide on the WWE Network. NXT UK versus NXT. It's not your standard takeover. It's a bit of a different look, but I have a feeling it's going to be awesome. Uh, looking through the card, you've got Rhea Ripley versus Tony Storm. All right, sold. That's it. That's all I need. But uh, as a bonus, wait, there's more. Mustache Mountain versus the reformed DIY. Uh, hearkening back to some of NXT's greatest tag team matches. Undisputed Era versus Imperium. No doubt in my mind, especially if you caught the end of NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool 2. That's going to be spectacular. And Finn Balor versus Ilya Dragunov. Dragunov uh, competed not too long ago against Cesaro. The dude is a star in the making. And Finn and he will surely tear it down in Houston. Why is it Houston there, but in New York, it's not Houston Street, it's Houston? Question has always plagued me. That's what I'm thinking about. G3 Assistance through Virginia's Community Colleges is your pathway to a new future. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. My next guest debuted in WWE 20 years ago, and he's still somehow finding ways to surprise us and make us laugh. Please welcome the 32, 33, how many time champion, R-Truth? Uh, it's 30-something. 30-something. That works for me. I like I like yeah. just a roundabout. Give me a, give me a neighborhood. Yeah, 30-something, carry the one. That's good. That's good. <laughs> so the truth, it's crazy to me, man. Like uh, you and I have known each other for a couple years, but you have been in the WWE landscape for 20 years, not mentioning what you did before you got there, which is a, a story and an episode in and of itself. I just talked, I talked to Dolph Ziggler on this episode and we talked about how different 
the business has become over that time period. How much has it changed for you? It's changed a lot, man. Um, for one, we're, we're we got more kid friendly now. You know, it's more PG. The guys now, uh, the younger guys we got now, man, are more like perfecting their craft. We're just like into it, man. It's like it's the millennial style. We talk about how much the business has changed. Who these days has really caught your eye as far as performers in the ring? Oh man, how much time we got, dog? Um, there's a, a speed a round, slew, <laughs> a slew of talent, man. I mean, Cedric Alexander, Ricochet, AOP, uh, Buddy Murphy, Amber Moon, uh, Liv Morgan. Man, the list goes on, man. So many talented young and upcoming superstars, man. Um, I feel good just being around them, man, and absorbing some of their energy, man, because they bring a whole new deposition to the business, I think. Well, you're definitely absorbing plenty of the energy and still contributing. It's not like you're the uh, the old-timer in the corner. You had to look back through through your career just in WWE. You you were the main event villain. You've been in a, a million and a half tag teams. And lately, what's really caught everybody's eye is, is the comedy. Uh, you've really reinvented yourself in, in the past few years, and obviously with the 24-7 title, what brought about that change and what made you feel comfortable? You know what, man? Uh, change brought about that change. And, and my whole attitude, man, since I've been in the business was, you know, if you get SHI tizzle, you make chicken salad out of it. You know what I'm saying? So re regardless of what they give me, regardless of who I have to work with, regardless of what it is, man, I just perfect it and make the best out of it as I can. And in, the, in the midst of it, I can entertain some people, get some laughs, Send you on that roller coaster a little bit. That's what I'm going to do. Where did the idea for Little Jimmy come from? Little Jimmy was an accident. I was um, speaking to the crowd. I was doing a promo, talking to the crowd. And my promo was about calling all the fans Little Jimmy's because they was all John Cena fans. And I just turned to my side and knelt, and kneeled down like I was talking to a little kid. And I could hear people saying, oh, he's talking to Little Jimmy now. There go Little Jimmy. They were seeing him, so why couldn't I see him? <laughs> Happy accidents, man. They happen all the time. Yes. And it, yes. Would, it could be argued, I mean, that the 24-7 championship, no one really knew what to make of it, and you've become synonymous with it. How much fun are you having with this? Man, I'm having fun. They called that title, they called that baby ugly, Core. They said the title was ugly, man. Like, like the ugly, 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 fugly, fugly, ugly. <laughs> I'm I mean, it's it's hard to disagree. The they thing said my baby was so ugly. When it was a baby, it was in an incubator with tinted windows. That's how ugly it is, man. <laughs> so I remember shortly after you, you, you becoming, I think, for the 13th or 15th or 19th time, we were sitting in the locker room just talking about ideas. I, you know you're really active on yes. social media, and, yes. and you have – a ton of fun and that's what makes it work that's what translates to the wwe audience is they can tell that you're having a great time where do you where do you come up with some of these ideas um the clouds <laughs> yeah. uh. hey, so, for people that don't know this is it's so fun doing this because Corey, we talk like this in the back of the locker room oh my god yeah like this, man in the back we're back there but uh most of the ideas Corey, just come from Actually, some come from fans. They'll, like, tweet something or say something. But most of them, man, just come from just sporadically just thinking of ways to, like, make this thing funny or ways to, like, be entertaining. Creative come up with a lot of stuff as well. Well, I, I miss sitting in the locker room all day and, and chopping it up with you now that you're on Monday Night uh, Raw. Too, I don't, don't get that. Oh, by the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that Mella says, sends her regard and she misses you probably worse than I do.
Oh man, appreciate it, man. Shout out, I miss her too, man. How's I muffin doing? <laughs> he's he's probably on the couch next to her right now, <laughs> having a great time. Yes, man. So of of all the stuff you've you've accomplished with your twenty four seven championship, you're still busy. I know you got your music project working. Tell me a little bit about that. Oh man, I'm about to release uh, my first single called "Set It All." That's gonna be released on Valentine's Day, man. I want to uh, do something different for Valentine's Day for people, man. Um, I'm just gonna set it off like that, and uh, I'm gonna drop a single every four weeks for the whole year. And where can uh, where can people find "Set It Off" and everything that comes out after? iTunes, Google Music, Apple Play, Spotify, anywhere you find music, digital retailers, you can find my "Set It Off." Tremendous, tremendous. I can't wait to hear that on Valentine's Day. Truth, of all the things you've done in your career, and they have been plenty, what's left for our truth to accomplish before before the uh, the end comes? The sky's the limit, man. I feel like I'm just now getting started, you know? I just turned 28 Sunday, and so for my third, man, I want to do it big, dog. You know what I'm saying? You don't look a day over 25, so that's amazing in oh, and of itself. Man. Much obliged, much obliged. What else are you up to, Truth? I know you're active on, as we said, social media. You've got quite the TikTok channel happening. Man, I'm about to go get on social media and do a TikTok today, Cor. Good. Well, I, I'm, I'm loving it, man. It's, 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 it's a way to engage with the fans. Um, I especially like Instagram, man, because I can go on there and I can join fans in to come and talk to me. And you'd be surprised, man, just a simple, man, five minutes, two minutes of just somebody seeing you. Because uh, we appear bigger than life to people, man. It goes a long way, man. And that's honestly, Kurt, that's how I've pretty much had my career the whole this whole time. And I've always involved people within my career and, and been humble, down to earth, as much as I can be, man, to where, like, that's what's helped my career all these years. That's what's kept my career grounded and, and gave me that stability I needed, the fans, the people. And hey, what are the odds we're going to get to see you uh, in the Royal Rumble match this year? Um, when is the Royal Rumble? <laughs> Sunday. Where's it at? Houston, Texas. Sure? I don't think that's a Royal Rumble, man. That's that's uh, hell in a cell, isn't it? It can be. I mean, we can make it. Whatever whatever makes you most comfortable, Truth, we will cater to your whims. And you know what? Yes, that is uh, Royal Rumble. Paul Heyman, he took his name off the list. He was supposed to be in the Rumble, too. And that's how you win the Royal Rumble. You throw Paul Heyman over the top rope. <laughs> so I was curious. I saw your interaction with Heyman and Brock. And uh, so did you remove yourself from the Royal Rumble match, or has that ever been clarified? Uh, yeah, I kind of took myself out because of technical difficulties. Paul said, Ben, that uh, he was taking his name off, that Brock was going to take his place. And I, I don't have any problems with Brock. Brock we, we were cool, bro. I have no problem with Brock. But Brock is not the way to win the Royal Rumble. Paul Heyman is the way to win the Royal Rumble. <laughs> it's so, so if you're a betting person, man or woman, uh, don't bet on R-Truth in the Royal Rumble match this Sunday. I understand there was a little bit of an interaction with you and a particular very famous actor that was once a vampire killer by the name of Blade. Wesley Snipe, man. I uh, interviewed Wesley, Michael Kikinkay, Eddie Murphy. Man, that was the funnest, the most funnest interview I've ever had. It's funnest the word. It is now. That was the most funnest interview I've ever had. And that was for the, the Dolomite movie? That was for the Dolomite movie. Dolomite's my name. Eddie Murphy watched wrestling, knew who I was. That knocked my head off first. And then <laughs> once we started talking about the 24-7 uh, title and, and how, how it works, what it's used for, uh, as far as 
bringing different worlds, uh, different walks of entertainment together, uh, bringing them into our world, us into their world. Uh, Wesley Snipes already familiar with our world. Man, he started like rubbing his chin, and I'm like, what's up, dog? He's, I'm thinking about coming up there and becoming the first actor to be 24-7 champion. I'm like, dude, what, we didn't even get your invitation yet. What are you talking about? He said, I don't need one. I want to become first champion. He is a vampire slayer, Truth. You're lucky that uh, you escaped with your championship that day. That's why I was talking my way out of it. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> Thank God for the gift of gab. Well, Truth, yeah. I, I have a feeling that uh, you need to get to Houston early and hide out because Mojo Raleigh still has your baby. And uh, it's a big stadium. Lots of places to hide and plan out for uh, recapturing your championship. Well, he said he wasn't going to be hiding, didn't he? That's what he said. But, I mean, let's be honest. It's probably a good plan on your part to get a good hiding spot. Sneaker. Right, man. Right. And he ain't wrapped too tight. You can sell Mojo Riley some magic beans, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'll be hollering at him as soon as I get to Houston. All right, Truth. Well, I will see you in Houston. We got to catch up. I miss you in the locker room every week. And, yes, uh, dog. Let's catch up, man. And we're going to do some uh, social media for the people to see. Let's do it. I can learn from the best. Yes. Oh, my gosh. You're the best now, Corey. Uh, I just get myself in trouble, Truth. We know. We both know that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I miss you, man. All right, Truth. I'll see you this weekend, man. Be safe. All right, Corey. You too. At the top of the show, I promised to tell you flat out who was going to win the Royal Rumble match this Sunday in Houston, streaming live on the WWE Network. And I lied to you because I don't have that information. All I can do is make an educated guess with a personal flavor on it. And this shouldn't come as shocking because I talked about it last week on the show. My pick to win the men's Royal Rumble match is Drew McIntyre because Drew McIntyre is awesome and he needs a championship match. If you don't know what I'm talking about, check out last week's episode, solid interview. You'll learn all about Drew's upbringing and Kafabi. On the women's side of things, a little trickier to predict. Uh, you, you've always got to say Charlotte Flair is a favorite uh, because when is she not a favorite in things? But the roster is so deep when you factor in all of the women from NXT could we see, you know, Rhea Ripley double up maybe as the NXT Women's Champion and head to WrestleMania to challenge the champion of her choosing? Their possibilities are endless, and I'm not going to waste any more time guessing. I'm just excited to get to Houston because this genuinely is my favorite pay-per-view of the year. It's fun, it's unpredictable, and I like being surprised as much as you guys. Alas, our time is coming to a close, but I would be remiss if I left you without some zen because it's flowing through me. Like water, like my next quote from C, Joy Bell C. That's right. That's the name. I don't know if it stands for anything, if it's like Karsten Joy Bell Charles, like CC Sabathia. I don't know, but it's a good quote. Anger is like flowing water. There's nothing wrong with it as long as you let it flow. I'm going to start trying to practice what I preach. That sounds like a good one. There's some zen for you. I'm full of it. Special thank you to my guests, Dolph Ziggler and R-Truth. Make sure you follow at After the Bell WWE on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you're talking about me anywhere else, use the hashtag After the Bell. Android users, follow ATB on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Podcasts, or your podcast app of choice so you never miss an episode. Subscribe to ATB. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so people know about the show because it's great and you want to be educated and you want me to continue to educate you right? Speaking of education, I don't know why we don't record this and just play it at the end of every show because I say the same stuff. I don't say the same stuff on Twitter. I say stuff that gets me in trouble, but it's not the same. Follow me at WWE Graves 
and on Instagram, where maybe you'll see cool pictures of my dog. Uh, I'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE After the Bell. This has been an original WWE podcast.